Hey guys, Danny here, editorial director of Courier, the magazine all about working better and living smarter. This podcast, Looking Up, is a brand new six-part series that shines a light on small business owners here in the UK that have been going against the odds, getting clever with new ideas, supporting their communities, and sometimes even growing during the pandemic and beyond. Looking Up is created in partnership with Instagram, which builds products and features to promote small businesses and help them grow in tough times. Right, so far we've been to London and Manchester. Today, we're heading south to Brighton. And as always on the show, I'm joined by Amir Jiwa, a courier editor and co-host of our workshop podcast. Hey, Amir. Hey. So this week we're in Brighton and the theme is community. And, you know, I'm really excited about this one because in a minute we're going to hear from an event planner whose events all got canceled when lockdown happened. But rather than despair, she had the idea of picking up organic eggs from a nearby farm and delivering them to friends and neighbors. And lo and behold, the whole thing took on a life of its own, thanks to the strong local community. And then we're heading over to one of Brighton's best co-working spaces, and the founder is going to tell us how unusually strong the community is in Brighton, and basically how that led them to be better equipped to adapt than some bigger cities. So Amira, I mean, what did you find when you were digging into this idea of community? Honestly, that's exactly the right word, community. It just kept coming up. Like this seems, you know, everything that I read about Brighton suggested that it's just like a close-knit town. Everyone's looking to help one another out. Actually, Just Eat commissioned a survey about kind of cities and, and people that were doing good deeds during COVID. And Brighton was one of the, the cities that came out top there and was kind of named one of the most community-spirited cities in the UK. So yeah, excited for this episode, really, and to hear how some of these businesses are doing something you know that is financially profitable, but also kind of has a genuine, meaningful impact on the local community as well. Yeah, and the thing about Brighton is, you know, if you ever go there, you can just tell that they do things a bit differently. Like, they go against the grain. There could be a lot of, like, activism in the local community. They don't want people necessarily telling them what to do. And that really comes across, you know, with the small businesses there as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Brighton is known for having, you know, kind of a creative scene with lots of small businesses. But I think that that's actually one of the reasons that businesses choose to set up there because of that community feel, like the types of businesses that you find in Brighton tend to be close-knit teams, kind of thinking a little bit beyond the four walls of their office and kind of how their work can make an impact. So yeah, excited to hear from these guests. So first up today, we're with Georgina Burroughs. Back before all of this craziness began, Georgina was an event producer and the owner of her own events company. But of course, she couldn't have imagined that soon enough her life would revolve around eggs of all things. But when lockdown hit and all of her events got canceled, Georgina had the idea of picking up organic eggs from a local farm and delivering them to people she knew. It soon took on a life of its own. Yes, so previously I had been running my events company, which is called The Great Little Events Company, for about three years. We'd actually had our best year yet, and we were kind of on course to have an even better year. So last year we did like the float for British Airways in Brighton Pride, and we were working a lot with a lot of luxury clients like Harrods and 
Burberry and doing some charity events as well and just like a really nice mix of different kind of creative event production and I just hired someone actually on a freelance basis to deliver an event that we were supposed to have in May so yeah so it was already good until March and then it all went a little bit pear-shaped. Everything dried up all the gigs were cancelled? Because I think we had a bit of an early warning really in the events industry I think we were actually getting cancellations before everyone else realised the scale of what was going to happen so I had one week where I have five projects on the go and a couple of them were quite big sort of conferences for an insurance company and everything got cancelled in five days so it was just it was an awful week and I had to tell the girl that I had hired to freelance with me that we weren't going to be doing the event anymore and she'd obviously had a week of people telling her that as well so it was was awful and it was really concerning and it was before they'd announced their self-employed support scheme as well so it was actually terrifying because I just didn't know what was going to happen really and yeah I had one event actually cancelled with two weeks notice because they couldn't risk people flying in from around the world but I didn't think any of us had any idea of the scale of what was going to happen I think I thought it was going to be over in a a month or two and obviously not (laughs) yeah you and everybody else you know obviously at some point you got the idea of oh I can go to my local farm and pick up some organic eggs and deliver it to friends and family but was that just like a spur of the moment kind of thing that you had in the shower or was that like ah this is a determined idea that I could actually grow into a business it was really just meant to be something that was going to keep me busy for a couple of weeks like it wasn't meant to be a whole business I had absolutely no idea I had no business plan I still don't really have a business plan and I had no idea of how it was going to take off I think all I was looking for really because there were so many shortages in the shops and I just kept thinking well I need to look for an opportunity what can I do and all the shortages were things that I couldn't you know find myself like loo paper and flour and that sort of thing but eggs I did know that there was this farm that sold wholesale that's when I had that idea but I really just started off with my neighbours so I just text we've got a whatsapp group for my road I just said oh does anyone want any eggs from the farm going to the farm and everyone did so then I posted on the Lewis uh, where I live the Lewis Facebook group and just said oh if I did a weekly egg delivery over lockdown would anyone be interested not really expecting it to get that much traction and I had about 150 people just commenting yes oh yes I would yes can you come here yes and I was a bit terrifying but I thought oh maybe we're on to something here so I um, just put up like a really simple google form the next day and just said oh you know fill out the form which 60 people did in the first hour so that was terrifying (laughs) and it sort of went from there really but I mean I genuinely thought I was chatting to all my friends you know on the zoom calls that we were having throughout lockdown and we were all sort of joking that it was going to be this thing that I was going to do for a, for a couple of weeks. And then I guess I thought, you know, well, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I thought events would be coming back sooner than this. And I never expected it to mushroom in how it has. We've added on so many products now that we've got about 35 different products and I'm about to get a van and yeah we've got a business premises and it's just never been something I expected was going to happen it's always just been something I thought we'd see how it goes that's incredible right this is like a proper lockdown success story like you grew a business and you delivered your first batch the day that the UK went into lockdown right I did and I had made so many mistakes because I had like 90 stops to do and I know this now but I didn't know this then that that's like not really doable in one day. I mean it it is if you're like Amazon or something but not if you're a completely like inexperienced delivery driver. Because you probably want to stop have a nice like chat with them oh thank you so much like it's not like you're like DPD where you're like okay deliver deliver deliver. Yeah it was crazy and like I mean, we did get round everybody and my boyfriend helped me and we did, we did we did it, but it was so stressful and it took me so long. So then I was like, I've got to get a better system. And since then I've kind of honed the system so that we've got it down 
really efficiently now but yeah that is a big element of it is that like especially during proper lockdown people were desperate to talk because no one had seen anyone for like weeks and people's kids would come and like wave out of the window and want to talk and things because they weren't around anyone else apart from their parents and actually I know so much about my Lewis customers and their kind of lives because I do have those conversations with them all the time and I think that has been something that's been really positive because it's a real human connection in a difficult time and I think that's why people have continued to use the service as well because they know me and they know Tracy who's the Brighton delivery driver and they talk to us I think they've got more of a kind of buy-in to it because it's not a faceless delivery service they know it's a lockdown business that's been successful and they know the people behind it so that's been really lovely right and tracy who you just mentioned i read that she's like a, a travel writer she's your friend and you kind of roped her into this business and now she's like your local her and her daughter are like delivering eggs for you right yeah so she's great um she is a, yes a travel writer and she unfortunately is a limited company so she didn't get any financial support and they were also just you know going mad with boredom so i said oh you know do you want to just do this maybe one week two weeks we'll see how it goes and they absolutely loved it i mean lola her daughter is back at school now and she's really disappointed that she can't do the deliveries because she has to be at school but tracy's still doing them and tracy does shoreham and worthing as well she's a great person to work with because she's really enthusiastic about it and she's really keen to be involved but she said for her it's been a bit of a lifeline as well because when they had nothing else to do it gave a bit of shape to the days and she's been quite excited about the way the business is going as well so she's I couldn't have really picked a better person to ask to help me out. The farm that you originally went with I read kind of you sucked them dry of eggs and you had to go to a, a nearby farm to get more eggs what happened there? Well, it was really stressful, actually. So the initial farm, I'd put my order in on the Thursday, I think, and I'd asked, this is like engraved on my memory, I'd asked for 22 trays of 30 eggs. And they got in touch with me on Friday night and said, I'm really sorry, but we've run out of eggs because everyone had gone and bought, and I guess no one had predicted the scale of what was going to happen. They completely ran out. And I was absolutely panicked because I thought, like, I can't let people down but they're gonna think i'm some kind of egg charlatan you have to go to like the local tesco and buy like tesco eggs and start delivering them oh i know i just i did consider that i, was, I can't do this. so i rang around well robbie my boyfriend and i rang around every organic egg farm in sussex on a saturday morning and it turns out they're all related to each other actually they're all of the same family and everyone was saying oh no we can't help no we can't help no we completely sold out no the hens can't lay anymore and i was panicking and panicking and the last farm that we tried they said, oh yeah, that's fine. They've been my supplier ever since and they have been brilliant and they're um, a much bigger farm that stopped selling to the public as soon as all the shortages in the supermarkets happened. So that meant that they still had enough eggs for their wholesalers. So yeah, they've been fab. You mentioned that you're now selling something like, you know, 30 something products you're gonna buy a van obviously this is a real proper business now do you think you'll ever go back to events if they open back up it's a hard question and it was one that i was being asked a lot during lockdown and initially i was sort of saying well you know we'll see how it goes i think looking at the event industry and i, I can't speak for the whole event industry but in my section of the event industry i can't see what i was doing before coming back anytime soon because i was doing a lot of creative kind of some immersive events and not what you would class as essential events, you know, a lot of launch parties and that sort of thing. I can't see that a lot of clients are going to have the money or the inclination to fly their staff around the world for conferences 
And I think a lot of people aren't going to have the money to splash. Initially, I was thinking I'd be back in events by the end of the year. Now I've actually decided I'm going to really commit to this new business. There's so many people in the event industry who are so deserving of work and desperate for work. And because I've got this business and it's working well, I don't really want to sort of enter that fray, really. So I've been applying for some grant funding. I've borrowed some money to get a van. I've got this new premises and I'm actually really committing to kind of this business is going to be my business now for at least the next kind of year. And I'm going to put a bit more kind of planning behind it because I think before I was just being very casual and sort of seeing how it went, which is a good way in some ways, I think, because I think then you, you don't worry too much. You're just testing things out. Whereas now I'm trying to be a bit more strategic and make a bit more of a plan and really figure out where we're going to go next. So yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be around for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And what you just said there about trying things out, I mean, that's what strikes me most about this is you saw an immediate need you just went on Facebook, um, you popped up a sheet on Google, you hired your friend who's a writer, and you just called a farm, and then you got this business together in like a couple of weeks, it seems, right? What do you think that says about just being really nimble and, you know, you didn't hire some big firm to help you out, you didn't buy like a subscription to a productivity platform or any of the you know, software, expensive software, you just kind of did it really lo-fi? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always had quite a grassroots approach to business anyway. I've never sort of done any of those kind of things I'm not for someone who's um you know often an events strategist I'm not necessarily particularly strategic in my own businesses but I think that if you were going to go for it in a way that was very structured and planned it would never have worked because the whole point of the business was that it was a bit of a reaction to what was happening at the time so I mean I had the idea and I had the form up 24 hours later and then we were doing the deliveries in like a few days you know like I didn't really give myself any time to think. And I've definitely made life a bit more stressful for me in, myself in some ways because I haven't planned or worked things out. So I've had to learn things the hard way. But I think that actually during lockdown and during this kind of economical sort of world that we're in at the moment, it's actually a really, really great time to be trying things out because if it doesn't work who cares you know there's so much other stuff going on in the world that I think if you're going to fall flat on your face it's probably quite a good time to do it but I think most people if you're fulfilling a need it will work but I yeah I think it's not something that ever would have been successful had I ever taken a little bit longer about it like it was definitely a quick fairly nimble approach to pivoting a business but like I say I guess if I'd known how big it was going to get and how long it was going to go on for then maybe I would have been a bit more intimidated by it but because I've always been taking it week to week and just seeing what happens and no I don't think anyone in the world knows what's going to happen in a week's time or two weeks at the moment and that can be quite freeing actually in lots of ways I think it's quite liberating really to just see how it goes and then next week you make your decision on what's happening then and sort of pivot your approach from there so yeah I think it's worked in my favor definitely Coming up after the break, we're with the owner of one of Brighton's best co-working spaces to see how they've adapted and survived. That's up next. Hi, it's Amira. I'm speaking with small business founders who used Instagram to thrive during lockdown. Here's Carlos Riestra, the owner of Carlito Burrito, a Mexican street food company that started a food truck and has since added a Brighton restaurant. When the pandemic hit, at the beginning, we didn't know how we we're going to carry on trading. But when it pivoted to the just takeaway, we were able to act quickly. We signed with another delivery company. And yeah, for us, it was much easier just to focus on the delivery side of the business. 
you know, as a food truck and, and now a delivery business, how have you used Instagram to support your business? Social media has been the pivot of how we present our business. It's basically our vision of what we're doing. And I want to show my customers what it is to, to work in, in that place every day. Not only just that, it helps us a lot as an inspiration because we, for the people that we follow and, and other businesses around the world that resonates with us, you know, it was always good to check what they're doing and, and just get inspiration and act more decisively. Are there any features in particular that you found, you know, really useful? When we buy ads, we can narrow it down specifically of who will benefit from our promotions. So just kind of like we're targeting customers in our local areas, you know, maybe targeting on specific regions and specific people. We, we managed to get that audience. I mean, you can see real-time data and analytics of whatever you do and see exactly what has worked. We started really focusing on certain types of our clientele and really narrow it down to who is the people who comes and who is benefits from the local community. And then grow from there to create a profile of who, who visit the restaurant. No? So I think without having that first-hand experience of the analytics of that past data pool, yeah, you didn't know where, where to aim or how, how to move. And has that you know, super specific targeting translated into growth for your business? Yes. And besides that, it's just, uh, I mean, I, I cannot look back how we used to do things and how we used to reach people. You know, we used to do flyers or, you know, you, you have to physically go out there and there's lots of logistics and lots of effort going into targeting or just putting your, your business out there. No. Finally, do you have any advice for other small business owners who want to use Instagram to grow their businesses? We always want to share our personal experience and I think that people react really well with the personal story. So try to be genuine and but try to give that personal touch. And as well, sometimes, as I said, it could be really, really overwhelming, this vast world of the social media. So as I said, just just start smalling, no, maybe maybe just um, targeting a neighborhood or an office space or a school and really just engage with those customers and then you can feel the proportion of finding your place in, in the social media, no? When COVID first emerged, lots of people thought that the co-working industry would be destroyed. With working from home and social distancing, how could a sector that relied on physical spaces and people sitting shoulder to shoulder possibly survive? But a funny thing happened. Although offices were closed, not everyone wanted to work from their sofa every day. So interest in alternatives, local co-working spots basically, actually increased. In Brighton, we're joined now by Seb Royal and Emily Lashmar, the founder and creative director, respectively, of the independent co-working brand Platform. They explain how they managed to keep afloat and what might happen next. We're quite unusual in the, in the co-working or shared office industry in that we have a lot of co-working members, you know, individual freelancers and remote workers, organisations that work up in London. And so those people initially would press that button to leave. You know, and we saw that happen quite quickly. But out of those 500 members that we had, 200 of them stayed with us. And a lot of that's to do with our brand loyalty and the people have connected with our brand in Brighton. You know, we've been here, we've been in the community, we're embedded within the community, and that's enabled us to sort of keep the flag going and the brand going. The offices took a little bit longer to unwind and we worked closely with our members in the offices to kind of support them and help them come through the crisis. So we then seen quite an upturn 
since June. And we've added members. We added another 100 members in three months. So our numbers are increasing since that kind of low point. You know, if the government is telling everyone to work from home and you are an office space where you want everyone to come in, like that's obviously going to be very difficult. And I think what Seb was saying, the fact that we have this high level of freelancers and remote workers and we're unusual with the individuals is because we're not just an office space. And I know all co-working spaces sort of say that, but because we're embedded in the community, because of the events that we do, because we bring people together, that's what we do, we bring them together. When you couldn't do that in a physical space, I think we managed to do a lot of it online, but we were just, we wanted to keep everyone as close as possible and, and help everyone along the way. Everyone was in such like turmoil that we were just doing everything in our power to help keep that together. So even though we had members leave, a lot of them were choosing to pause. They weren't choosing to just pull the plug and leave. They were choosing to take credits or work with us to eventually come back. Yeah, and it's not only the government telling people to work from home, it's telling people to work from home, then everybody go back to the office, and now it's again everybody work from home. And it's that uncertainty of like, how can I plan my company in, in the near term when I don't even know if I'll be allowed to, to function? I think we had this bit when the Prime Minister said work from home again, you know, when the message changed recently, I think I just had a little bit of like trigger of like, oh no, not this again, you know, like not back to crisis. But actually we didn't see that. We didn't see, you know, a sudden sort of flow of people cancelling and pausing. A lot of the people had already kind of made that decision. Like they, they can't work from home for a variety of different reasons. And I think we're not forced to be at home. Let's say like, work from home if you can. I think his messaging was... You know, you can interpret it. On the industry as a whole, if you're based in London, you know, if the co-working community and your shared office business is in London, you're really going to suffer. We're fortunate in that we have track record. We're based in Brighton. And all these people who are working from home who used to work in London are now working from home in Brighton or Brighton and Hove, to be really you know, specific. And those people now, what we have since ha happened is a lot of those people who are now working from home don't want to work from home anymore, or they will do for a couple of days a week, but they don't want to do it all the time. And our demand has gone up. Our demand is in excess of what it was before lockdown. You know, our inquiry levels are higher. And now we're just trying to deal with the fact that the social distancing and how we manage our space has got to be done in such a way that we can't get everybody in. And we've got to manage that, that process. But no, we, we're seeing this. We're seeing this return. Clearly, at the moment, there's a lot of caution, and that's what's now feeding through, and we're seeing that. Yeah, it's really counterintuitive and extraordinary that everybody thought that this would be the death of co-working spaces, but actually, people are working now from their home, and they're getting sick of working from their home, so they have to work from somewhere else. And lo and behold, it's the local co-working space. Assuming they don't want to go to a cafe, but there still is a place where people want to go. That's not the home, and also not the office. Work near home, yeah, the WNH, like work near home. Working culture has been going this way for so long. You know, more people becoming freelance, more people setting up by themselves, remote workers, like wanting to have that flexibility and choice in, in the way in which you work. And it's been going in that direction and most companies or progressive companies will offer that as a perk. You know, you can work from home, you can work flexibly, or we have a membership. It's kind of a, a forward thinking way. We've now gone through this, you know, global experiment where really it's difficult in the short term, but actually, in a way, it will sort of, a lot of people have now had a taste of what a smaller percentage of people have had, and now they want that autonomy, they want that choice. You know, companies are gonna have to start, if they want to attract talent, are gonna have to start offering that sort of flexibility from home or working from a co-working space. Because I think ultimately, 
You can work from home on certain tasks, like depending on who you are as an individual. But if you want to be creative or you want to do certain different types of work, you want to be around people, you want to come together. And there's only so much that you can really do in terms of that over Zoom. My expectation is we're going to have a really rocky period for the next six to 12 months. When I saw this crisis hit in February, March, and of course I was saying this, we're all going to be okay, COVID's not going to come here, we're all going to be fine. When we hit, when the crisis hit in March, I predicted we'd be through this by September. And I thought I would see a recover, quick recovery. I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to that sort of side of things. And we will come back and people will migrate towards co-working and shared offices because it's flexible and flexible working is going to be become the way of the future. But what's happening now is we have still at least a further six to 12 months to get through. I do think there will be a shift to this you know, hub and spoke model that people are talking about, you know, so that you'll have space in London or major cities, but you'll have regional locations and they might become more uh, predominant as local workers move to work in those spaces. And we, we, we've actually seen that. We're one of our, we've done a deal with a, an energy company who have an office for 700 people in London, which they're just not occupying. And they accelerated a new office in Brighton and they put 30 people down here and they're recruiting down here. They've taken space from, from us here for that reason is it's easier to get people here. So I think not just the co-working market, but the office market is really going to suffer in central London for a period of time. From our industry's perspective, we are seeing opportunities from, and we're seeing one of the things about growth is a lot of landlords are approaching us now, both in this market and in others, as to operate their space, to bring community into their buildings and also as a route to filling space because we are able to deliver flexibility, manage the operations of the building and deliver community, which is something which landlords can't necessarily do. And for us, it's then just a question of timing as to work out when is the time, right time to open new spaces. And we're reassessing where we're going to open. Do we open in another big city to begin with or do we open in a regional market first? That's where I think the opportunity lies. I want to talk about Brighton just for a bit because it's known as a, a city for doing things a bit differently, going against the grain. Small businesses tend to be really outspoken and, you know, they just say what they mean. I don't know if that's a stereotype or true or not. I mean, I'm keen to know what you think, but how have they rallied around the community and, and each other during the past, you know, six months? I would say that I agree with you. Maybe it is a stereotype of Brighton people, but we're definitely the sort of outliers or, you know, we don't necessarily go with the general status quo. There's a large community of purpose-led businesses here. So, you know, people, planet, purpose, like finding what it is that you want to do. So, again, people come to Brighton because they want to do it slightly differently. I think the thing with Brighton and Hove is as well, we're only a city because we don't have a cathedral because we joined with Hove. So it is a small, not a small community, but... You know, you meet a lot of people very, very quickly. You kind of understand what is going on very quickly. And I think that one thing that COVID did is maybe before with larger organisations where they might have taken a long time to make decisions or to collaborate with other organisations is that I think that that's what Zoom has done. You can just jump on a call and you can make things happen because you're all in the same boat and you can do it for the greater good of your members or your customers or the general community at large. And I think whenever you go through a crisis, you rally around and everyone looks at the resources they have and then they get shit done so i think that's kind of what's happened over the past six months is that things that wouldn't normally have happened pre-covid times have managed to, to happen and that was episode three of looking up coming up next week we head to bristol to see how businesses there have adapted and pivoted and of course any lessons they've learned along the way Looking Up is created in partnership with Instagram, which built products and features to promote and support small businesses and to help them grow in tough times. For more stories from Courier, head to couriermedia.co. 
I'm Daniel Giacopelli. We'll see you next week.